Hello, my name is Chris Miachi, and I am the chair of IEEE Cloud Computing. And I am interviewing one of the, uh, the CTO of Taiga Ecosystems, a startup that has a product called the Taiga Tower. And this is Ken Miachi, and in full disclosure, he is my son. He is the first podcaster for a series the IEEE Cloud Computing is doing on startups that use cloud computing in their, in their business model. So, Ken, welcome to IEEE Cloud Computing. Thank you. It's good to be here. So tell me about your product, how it uses cloud, and go ahead. Yeah, so the Tiger Tower is a home smart garden that uses sensors, a mobile app, and cloud storage to track the moisture and light of the plants that you're trying to grow. And basically what it will do is deliver optimal uh, water and light to your plants by monitoring the moisture and light of them and pumping it through some machine learning algorithms and trying to create the best scenario and setting for your plants to grow. So if you don't have a green thumb, you could still grow vegetables or flowers with the Tiger Tower. Yeah, the whole concept behind it is very low maintenance gardening. You, all you would really have to do for the maintenance of it is to fill the water basin around once a week, and then our sensors and IoT device and cloud, all that working together will take care of the rest. So, uh, you know, one of the things I thought there were other products that did this, but I couldn't find any products that did this. This is like a classic example of using IoT, but I couldn't find, like, you know, at Home Depot, I couldn't find any products. Have you guys, do you guys know what the market looks yeah, like? Yeah, so we actually have done a lot of research on our competitors, and what we think differentiates us between uh, the other smart garden, smart towers out there is the yield of our product. Uh, mm -hmm. Our product nine pots in our tower together, as opposed to all these other uh, IoT devices that are for gardening right now, they're just one pot. So we have nine times more yield than uh, any other product out there. That's what we think is our differentiating factor. Interesting, yeah. So, Tell me about the technology. So basically what there is, there's a water pump and LED lights and uh, a rotation motor inside the tower. And there's sensors inside uh, each level of pots. And what that does is send uh, data to our motherboard that's on the tower, uh, data in the form of light and moisture sensing. And then the motherboard on the tower sends that to the cloud, and that data gets computed. And then once that data is computed and we know the moisture and lighting of your specific plants, we can send uh, different commands back to your tower to either light or rotate or water your plant, depending on what kind of nutrients it needs. So are you using a commercial cloud storage right now? So right now, yeah, we're just in prototyping phase, and we're just using uh, Amazon Web Services. 
But when we when we do um, launch our product and go commercial, we definitely have to think about um, different cloud options and uh, what will be most uh, effective and cost effective for what we're trying to do. And so, so the the all the data from the sensors for light and moisture um, go to the cloud, and there's a there's a motherboard on the system that will actually send that data to the cloud. Is that correct? Yeah, the motherboard is kind of the uh, intermediary between our sensors and the cloud. The sensors send the data from that it collects via Bluetooth to our motherboard, and then our motherboard is connected to the internet that will send it to the cloud and then receive information back from uh, the and, cloud as well. And your mobile app, your mobile app will also connect to the cloud? Yes. Um, our idea, the concept, the idea behind that one is that um, all the data in the cloud will be connected to some front-end device, mobile device, where you can see all your pods that are growing, track what, um, track, you know, the, what light and moisture settings they're at, and also, it could send you alerts if there's anything wrong, so you know to uh, what you need to do to help out your plant to save it or keep it keep it growing uh, healthy. Yeah, and um, I, I don't know if you considered this, but have you thought about actually having the user enter information about is the plant doing well, is the plant not doing? No, that's actually going to be a big part of our product and a big uh, big aspect of our product because if your plant succeeds or doesn't succeed, we need to get that data, we need to get that information from you whether you are happy with the growth of it or not. And then that will actually help us optimize what we think is the optimal moisture and light for that specific plant, whether it succeeded or failed. So the user... There is going to be some power uh, in the user in this data collection process that we're going to do. You're going to use crowd crowdsourcing for your data. You'll collect all these different. If you have lots and lots of users, you can figure out in the, the best solution that works yeah. for people. <laughs> if yeah. you have a lot of users, right? <laughs> yeah. So we'll 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 already have a database. Um, there's plenty of growing databases out there that tell you what. Uh, moisture and light you need to like you need to grow plants so we'll start with that baseline and then we've done a bunch of testing ourselves that we're going to use that we're going to add to our database and then hopefully the more users we get and the more use we get out of our product the better our our tracking and uh, thresholds become for the optimal moisture and light for each individual plant yeah, that, that's great. I, I think products that actually use also user input also work really well because technology can only take you so far sometimes. And, yeah, I, we just want to constantly update uh, what what we think are the optimal thresholds. And then if we find any major problem, like if uh, growing in colder climates on the East Coast is you need much different moisture settings than your dry hot climates on the West Coast, you know, do we need to consider different factors that we weren't before and uh, different different aspects like that? We just constantly want to improve improve our, uh, our thresholds for growing. Yeah, well, I can tell you on the East Coast, a lot of us would love to have year-round gardens that you have in California, and we can't. We have a very short growing season. 
though, and it's over now. It's long over. <laughs> so no, I yeah, I... definitely. That that was kind of how the idea started. Uh, my partner moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, and uh, he noticed all these differences basically between the different uh, growing environments, and he thought of something that could, you know, could help everyone out and uh, make growing easier for everyone. Right. Yeah. That, that's great. So uh, one thing that um, you know we were both at the Technology Time Machine Conference in San Diego last week, and a big concern that people talked about was security, especially with IoT. And last week when we were there, there was a security breach, and it turned out that um, what happened was hackers got a hold of individual DVRs and um, which are networked, and they use those DVRs to um, send requests and blanket requests to the DNS server here in New Hampshire, and it shut down the East Coast for several hours, and so a lot of websites could not be um, got, you know, you couldn't get to them, especially on the East Coast, like the Boston Globe. So in your case, what are some of the um, vulnerabilities that you've thought of that you're, you know, what, what are the kind of things that you're afraid of and then what are you doing to protect your yeah, users? Yeah, so we, there's definitely going to be, there's going to have to be some personal data in our, in our database just to categorize our, our different users. So we definitely really, uh, we value our users' information. We want to keep it as safe as possible. Um, Something that anyone is worried about is just someone hacking into your database and stealing the data you have. Um, and what we're going to do to protect that is use, you know, a large commercial cloud uh, cloud provider that has supposedly very good security. Um, most likely, right now we're using AWS. And then what we're going to try to do to um, go beyond that is I'm going to try to offer incentives to different friends. I'm in the computer science department at UCSD. Offer some incentive for different hackers to try to hack into our database and see if they can get a hold of that information. Yeah, that's that's a good idea to do that. I wonder if um if some of these commercial databases have ever done <laughs> done that. So um, the commercial cloud providers like Google and AWS, hopefully they mm. do that internally. <laughs> and yeah. then so what one misuse case that we were talking about earlier before we we. Um, started recording the podcast was, let's say I was able to control one of your watering sensors, your your moisture sensor, and I, I kept give, sending it, I hacked into it, and I was able to say, it's dry, it's dry, it's dry, and mm. your user was away in Japan for two weeks, and it kept delivering water, and the whole, their, his whole apartment was flooded. What kind of safeguards do you, are you going to be putting in to protect something like that? Yeah, that's definitely a concern as well, sending false data to our server and having it um, react to that false data. Our plan mm -hmm. for that is um, two, kind of a two-prong approach. Like one, if we notice abnormal data coming from one of our systems, we want to have a shutoff, okay, um, alert what's going wrong, and maybe, you know, an alert to the user's phone and to let them know what's going on yeah. and if uh, this makes sense. And then our second, if that alert doesn't work, we want to actually have some hardware safety valve on there that the user can just uh, press a button or take out a certain part, and then it will shut off the tower's capabilities completely. 
just so that if anyone does try to take control of it and we can't fix it, um, at least nothing detrimental will happen to your um, your tower or anything that is surrounded by it. Right. Right. Yeah, the other one we were talking about offline was the heat, the, you know, the light sensors that, you know, the, the potential fire hazard there. So you'd also need the same kind of safety on that as well. Yeah, I think they go hand in hand, whether it is um, more like too much water or too much light. Uh, both both requirements are dangerous. Both, both hacks are dangerous and uh, we're definitely going to need to have uh, safety checks in place for both of them. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, uh, what languages are you working when you develop the app, the full stack? What what technologies are you working with for the full stack? Yeah, so right now I'm working on some algorithms to try to optimize growth and take in take in you know our different data and try to um, do some linear regression and try to come up with the best thresholds for both light and moisture. And what I'm doing for all that computational coding is Python. Um, our front end, we're going to use just classic React, some Angular, HTML, CSS. Um, and then for our back end, we're going to use Node, uh, Node JavaScript, Express. And I think we're going to use a Mongo, MongoDB for, for, for our database, our database uh, structure. That's a modern full stack development. Yeah. Um, I've been, we've been, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, I've, I've worked with a couple of different uh, databases, but um, I think, yeah, the Mongo, the NoSQL, it's definitely a, uh, it's definitely a very clean and, and uh, efficient approach to uh, storing your data. It sounds like you can get an app developed pretty quickly with that, too, both for iOS and Android. Yeah, it's very flexible. Um, it scales very well. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits of yeah, of a lot very responsive. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, how far along are you guys with your product? So uh, we've uh, we, we've been working on this product for about uh, six to nine months so far. We've had a bunch of prototypes. Uh, we're not yet at the minimal viable product for our customers yet. That's what we're working with a manufacturer right now to try to develop that and get a a commercial product that we can ship. We currently have our uh, an Indiegogo campaign that is um, currently running right now, and we're just trying to collect as much money as we can and to develop our product. And hopefully, by 2000 summer 2017, we will ship out our first uh, first units, and they'll get to our customers then. Wow, that's exciting. Um, so for listeners, it's tigatower.com will take you to their website, which at this point in time goes to their Indiegogo campaign, and that's and it has video and pictures of the Tiger Tower, and it is a beautiful product, Ken. I will say that. Thank you. Lots, yeah, um, they, they definitely put a lot of work into the aesthetic and design of just the structure of it, and also. Um, just making it very user friendly and very efficient for uh for growing for growing in just that matter in with with size and uh space constraints yeah I mean it looks like an indoor plant like it looks like it could be just a set of beautiful indoor plants the way it's designed so uh well listen, good luck to you, and it's wonderful to have you on the podcast as our inaugural podcast of the series and um, good luck to you and your team. 
Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me on uh, the podcast as well. I'm very excited to see see the final product.